The weather outside is frightful And the poor are getting spiteful Because there's no place to go Let it, let snow, it snow, let it snow, let it snow Welcome back everybody to the Acapella Podcast oh, I'm Ryan God. Whitley I'm, oh, I'm Jessica Berg And I'm Damian Smith for now and- Together, we're actually Whiskey and the Weird, and we are super excited and melodiously excited to be back <laughs> with you for season four. Each season, we explore one volume of the British Library's Tales of the Weird series, which exhumes the lost weird fiction of yesteryear by, well, mostly obscure authors. Each episode, we analyze one story from that volume, and the forecast for these discussions is always full spoiler. This season, as fair autumn breezes turn cruel and biting, we're excited to be reading Heavy Weather, Tempestuous Tales of Stranger Climes, edited by Kevin Manwaring. So batten down those hatches, friends, and button up those peacoats, because a foul wind is blowing a story our way, and Jessica is here to tell us what it is. Up next, The Great Snow by Richard Jeffries. Who, for some reason, I kept wanting to call Robert in all of my notes, but no, he's Richard. That's pretty close. Before we get to that, though, we've got some bar talk to do. Damien, what's in your glass tonight? All right, this this story is very snowy, as you can imagine. (laughs) Pretty snow heavy. Uh, Yeah, so it's It's a heavy snow. And chilly. I wanted to avoid that and escape to the tropics, so I poured myself a little bit of a mai tai. This is a oh, rum cocktail. A is cop out. Yeah, well, deal with it, Padre. It is a classic <laughs> um, in the Caribbean sort of uh, tiki scene. Uh, it is a rum cocktail that also involves some fresh lime juice, orange curacao, orgeat syrup, which is a, a sweetener that has sort of a nutty, kind of a milky, nutty texture and flavor to it, and a little bit of dark rum as well. I topped mine off with a couple brandy cherries with no syrup in it. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. It's a light sort of creamy mm. yellow green, and it drinks like sunshine. It's not... <laughs> It's it's not something that anyone will refuse. Mai Tais are sort of ubiquitous cocktails. If you like drinking, you like a Mai Tai, period. In, in fact, uh, if you were to come and hand me one, I, I would take it. Yes, you would. <laughs> yes. At any time of day. Um, as far as what I'm doing outside of this volume, I, I happen to catch up on the second of a projected trilogy of films by Ty West called Pearl. Nice. Uh, the first one is X. Uh, they star Mia Goth in recurring leading roles, but with a different spin. I thought that X was okay. I'm not going to lie. Like, I thought X was good. I saw the promise. Pearl was a lot better, in my opinion. I it's liked so- X more after watching Pearl. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, we just agree to disagree. And also, you're wrong. Uh, no, no, no. Pearl I didn't mean a... <laughs> more than Pearl. I mean, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Pearl I see what made you're saying. me like X made you more. like X more. Um, I, I thought that Pearl as a central story was just great. Uh, there were some really unique choices, including the utilization of what I am absolutely confident was a real human being for a scarecrow, along with the end oh, credits, so persevering creepy. smile, weird an eight minute monologue by Mia Goth that was pulled off exquisitely. 
Uh, you will never look at family feasting the same way again. <laughs> uh, you will never look at dance competitions the same way again. There were slow pans. There were alligator chomping deaths. I, I mean, this this movie was really good. It was very, very, very sticky with regards to how you were remembering it in the moments after watching it <laughs> and the days and the weeks. Strongly I'm not suggest sure watching I want Pearl. a further definition of what that means. I cannot wait for the third one to come out. I am not normally a Ty West fan. Going to throw that out there. But I think really making a name um, and creating this entire like um, uh, environment, this entire universe with Pearl. And I'm, I'm loving it. So it's, it just keeps getting better. So Pearl 2022 directed by Ty West. By you, Jess. Okay. We have a snowy story. It's snowy weather. I really thought I was going to try some scotch and like it. And guys, uh, I don't really like scotch. <laughs> <laughs> the grimace. If you could see the grimace. Uh, it is I a bought, hateful face. <laughs> I bought just a little bottle of the Glenlivet 12 year. And I Look fully understand that this is not even the smokiest, peatiest scotch. That not even close, you... but it's a fair and, entry whiskey. And I've had some scotch and, you know, it's been fine. It's. It's just drinking it feels more like a punishment than something that I enjoy. Oh. <laughs> punishment. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to. That's coming out in post, y'all. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> oh, God. So we're going to power through that. And uh, I just finished up reading Jawbone by Monica Ojeda. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's what I've more. seen. Yeah. For so real. That sounds it's been good. making the rounds on uh, Book Talk and bookstagram or however you you know i'm pretty cool and i've seen it it's appeared in newspapers booker facebook <laughs> bookstagram gene shallot talked about it so a lot of the times when these books sort of catch on in social media and then you check them out they're not necessarily as substantial as you hope sometimes they're you know, a little bit pulpier or, or less fun, or maybe I'm just not fun and they're actually great. This one ended up being a lot cooler than I thought it was going to be. The The writing and the translation were like challenging in a really interesting way. So it's pages and pages and pages of blocks of text with uh, no paragraph breaks. It's just really smart dense writing um about basically like how terrifying teenage girls are Ugh, um the, one of the main characters the, basically the only main character who is not this group of teenage girls is this teacher who becomes you know an english teacher but basically is trying to live the life of her dead mother by like putting <laughs> her hair in no, that way no, and wearing no. her clothes and living in her house in, it's and just using like, her jawbone as a tiara by it's chance. Just the, <laughs> the most like bonkers villain where you're immediately just like, oh yeah, no, there's something very, very wrong with this. You um, bad. You bad. But it's it's fun. It's definitely I thought it was gonna be like a, a quicker read than it was, but you kind of have to like dig into it a little bit. Um I really liked it. Cool. Yeah, that's why it's been on my drinking? radar. Well, uh, th uh, what I'm drinking is a tale of of two stories. Uh, okay. I, God, I have in go. my glass uh, a brown sugar old-fashioned. This is a winter warmer, tried and true. This is just a straight-up old-fashioned, except 
you make it with brown sugar instead of a sugar cube. I have uh, finished it with an orange peel. I'm using the Knob Creek for my bourbon and nice, Faye, Brothers, Faye Brothers bitters for my bitters. Uh, and I've finished it with an orange peel, as I mentioned, and then stirred it with a cinnamon stick. So it's got oh. that winter feel well, wait, wait to it. Wait a second. Is it's not cinnamon. Look, it's uh, kasha bark. Hold it's on. We gotta get in there. Nope. It's already done. Uh, I already, I already put it out there. Yeah, it's not cinnamon. <laughs> so stop pretending, you liar. I've I've really tried to forget that segment from from last season, and you've just <laughs> brought it crashing to the forefront. Thank you. Um, and so, as I mentioned, this was a tale of two cities to begin with. The brown sugar old fashioned was what I was drinking for this episode, but we took so long in our pre episode discussion that now I'm just drinking the Knob Creek, folks, and it's nice. a delicious bourbon. Cool, great it's, work. It's it's going to get exciting. It's going to uh, get as, real. It's, as it's for get what hairy. I'm, uh, I'm listening to uh, or or reading, uh, I'm taking a page out of my colleague's books, and I tried an audio book. Nice. Uh, I, Where I, could you go? Yeah, look, I rented it from the library via the Hoopla app, which uh, was one of the apps that Jessica was was uh, promoting Hoopla earlier. About. I got the Hoopla. I got the Hoopla, <laughs> and I I listened to Flowers for the Sea by Zin E. Rocklin. This is uh, a novella. It was a, a really pretty good novella. Um, it was about, uh, imagine Waterworld meets the OBGYN's office. Uh, well, now we're talking. To... Okay. Nope, I'm not imagining that. <laughs> I'm with Jessica. I will be in the next room. Thank you very no, much. No, thank you. There's a lot what was that title about... again so I can avoid it at, at Great yeah. Lines? Flowers for the Sea. There's a lot about <laughs> birth and the biological processes thereof in this story, but, you know, okay. it, fine. Um, it's got some Lovecraftian <laughs> elements into it. It's got this, like, monstrous like rock-style bird. <laughs> <laughs> there is no land in sight. Cthulhu Everybody lives mucus on a boat. plug. <laughs> in fact, the phrase mucus plug comes up at least twice well, in the story. That's twice is all you need, really. Yeah. It's it's uh it's a juicy little number. Flowers oh, for the oh, Sea oh, oh, <laughs> by Zin E. Rockland. And I listen to that, friends, at 1.0 speed. Which is about all I can handle for audio. Jessica, I'm I'm curious, what speed do you typically listen to audiobooks at? I know the sweet spot, which is 1.05. <laughs> you wild and child. It smooths out the pauses. <laughs> Slow down. You're without, getting a speeding ticket. <laughs> without getting too chipmunky. You know, it keeps the same tone. It just, you know, speeds it. You're saving minutes off of each eight hour book. Minutes, entire minutes, tens of seconds. Mm -hmm. Look, 2.0 or bust. The only oh time I can't do it is for thick accents, in which case I drop it down to minimum one and a half. Minimum. But rest assured, like if anybody is around the house, if I'm listening to a book in the shower or something like that, you better believe that my wife comes in and teases me, throws out some Alvin and the Chipmunks reference, yeah, and then I move on with my day. As she should. But guess who's crushing 100 books a year? <laughs> Between reading and listening, this guy, capital DS. So that sounds fantastic, Damien. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's dive into our author and publication info for this sort of story The Great Snow by Richard Jeffries. John Richard Jeffries was born on November the 6th, 1848, on a family farm at Cote in the parish of Chiseldon, which is in the southwest of England. 
Known mostly as a nature writer, he lived on this farm for the majority of his early life, and it provided for significant influences on his writing and philosophy. Like Melville, he had an unfortunate affinity in his early years for that singular style of facial hair now known as the chin strap. <gasps> really? <laughs> but like, they, they both did. It was, it's terrible. Oh, uh, so good. But like his first name, it was soon left behind. As a boy, <laughs> he spent most of his free time hunting or on the water in his homemade canoe. When he was 16, he and his cousin ran away to France with the bizarre notion of walking to Russia. This pilgrimage was brought to a halt quickly, however. When the boys got to France, they discovered their facility with that language to be inadequate to ask directions to Russia, and so yeah. soon quit back to merry old England. One wonders <laughs> how they imagined they'd navigate Russia once they got there. Wow. He ever remained a wanderer, however, often carrying a long gun on his perambulations, much to the chagrin of his neighbors, who Wait, would frequently out. turn Wait, him out. hold on, hold on, stop. Did you just say perambulations? Perambulations. That's a funny word perambulations. for walking about. Perambulating. <laughs> perambulating. He's just out there perambulating. I, if I do it, I'm a perambulator or a perambratron. Just because you're out at elbows with your vocabulary, Damien, it's not uh, my fault. I'm a perambulologist. Do, do I you study walk walking? Do you study walking? I do now. All right. Sorry. I Didn't mean to interrupt. Now. I just had to point out the fact <laughs> that you said perambulating instead of walking. All I right, did. Continue. And here I thought the more interesting part of that sentence was the fact that he did so carrying a long gun around his neighborhood. Nah. <laughs> but nope. That was, is that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> so those uh, pilgrimages came to an end in 1867 when he took drastically ill, actually, likely the first bout of the tuberculosis that would one day claim his life. His nature writings were soon noticed, and he became a regular in the Pall Mall Gazette, I think a favorite of the pod. Mm -hmm. In the early 1880s, he wrote a fairy tale of sorts called Wood Magic, a fable that introduced an enduringly popular character named Beavis. No relation oh, yeah. to the 90s television star. <laughs> that same year, he developed symptoms of his disease, which I shall not describe to you, that Thank led you. to a series of painful operations. The next few years brought sorrow and tragedy. His third child, Richard Oliver, was born in 1883, but died only two years later, and Jeffries was so overcome with emotion that he was unable to bring himself to go to the funeral. 1885 saw him publish a piece of weird fiction, a novel in two parts called After London, which is pointed to now as an early post-apocalyptic type story. In 1887, he published an even weirder tale, Amaryllis at the Fair, about a family on a farm slowly but surely approaching an unspecified disaster. Later that year, disaster would be upon him, but it would have a name, and its name was tuberculosis. Jesus. God. Oh, my God. <laughs> he succumbed on August 14, 1887. 
a man to died, Jessica. A man yeah, died. To friends, <gasps> to friends sorry, out there sorry. who are listening, we're not sorry. laughing at tuberculosis. We're laughing at the way in which oh. it was introduced in this. <laughs> a the man died. By the one and only Ryan I, I stand by my linguistic perambulations. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long one, folks. A long perambulate? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, please end it. <laughs> His work continues to inspire artists of many kinds today. After London, in fact, became the inspiration for a 2022 heavy metal album. Go ahead, look it up. It's true. As our story tonight has never before been published, I can't say much about that. So over to you, Jess, for our summary. All right, everybody, bear with me a little bit because this is kind of a story <laughs> never, true words have never been spoken <laughs> so when we start our kind of a story the snow is just starting to fall in london trains are delayed but still running by the 25th of the month after four days of constant snow we're at an even layer of snow 27 inches deep across the city the next day we're up to 33 inches of snow lying across everything the trains have stopped moving but Londoners are still in a good mood. We're throwing snowballs. We're treating it like a holiday. Nobody's going to work. But then it's the 23rd and the wind picks up. The snow is like a pellet gun when it hits you, cutting your face. The snow starts drifting. And by the next morning, they're measuring drifts of more than 27 feet deep. Yeah, so just to confirm, we went from 27 inches to 27 feet 27 because of the snow drift. Ships in the river and the seas are getting smashed to bits but nobody knows this in real time because the telegraph lines are also all down the wind makes it impossible to keep warm we have a journal entry from a man named smith who keeps saying that because it's so cold they've made a tent around their indoor fireplace out of carpets and rugs smith's wife and daughter are barely hanging on but they have wine and weirdly two tons of potatoes in the cellar from some friends a gift. A gift of two tons of potatoes. Honestly, potato friends are the only beep, type of friends beep, that I would like to have. Beep, beep. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Governor. Here's two tons of potatoes. That's a lot of potatoes. Just set it down next to the lawn furniture. By the 29th, the snow is 10 feet deep across everything with enormous drifts. The National Gallery is completely invisible. The only thing you can see of St. Paul's Cathedral is the top dome, but the cross has blown off in the storm, which is totally not ominous at all. Or symbolic. And now <laughs> we've got clouds on top of the snow and the wind and the cold. Now we've got gloom. Around the coast, the gloom turns into a really intense fog. Ships can't make it to port, and no one dares take their boat out to sea, so England is totally cut off from the rest of the world. So they can't communicate amongst themselves. They can't communicate with anyone outside of the country either. And oh no, now we've got icebergs. They are crashing into the coast. One floats up with a couple of polar bears hitching a ride. Hey! The ice is horribly loud as it crashes and rubs against the land, and the drifts are now 150 feet tall. So I don't have any context for how tall things are, but according to Google, 150 feet is about two tall trees tall. 
Or, <laughs> thank you, Google. <laughs> or it's the height of the Statue of Liberty if she was off of her pedestal and just walking around. <laughs> I saw that movie. Uh, so I assume we're in February. Ghostbusters 2. If this, then that. Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Uh, because the first actual date mentioned is March 2nd, which we're coming to, but we skip from the 29th to March 2nd. So on top of being a uh, terribly snowy winter, uh, it's also a leap year, apparently, which is fun. But so by March 2nd, everyone is just starting to lose their minds. The people who have nice homes have locked themselves inside of them. Poor folks huddle in taverns and drink through the city's supply of beer. They've got but it because right. they're <laughs> because there are no trains running no new food can get into the city and any existing food in shops has either been eaten or is buried deep uh deep beneath the snow food goes from super expensive to basically non-existent overnight obviously most of the sheep and cows uh that were around did not survive and even their bodies are inaccessible under the snow People are driven mad by hunger and start breaking into the houses of their wealthy neighbors to steal their food. Smith, who is journaling again, says that he buried all of his potatoes outside in the snow out of a window. And when the hungry masses show up at his door, the whole family hides out inside their snowy potato cave. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the name of my next album. He tosses him a withered tuber and says, that's all I've got. This is all I've got. Out of desperation, people break into the warehouses that store hard alcohol. I would have thought this would have been the first place we broke into, but that is just me. Uh, The beer's been gone for a while. I'd be in the potato cave, actually. So when the starving people start drinking all the whiskey, they begin singing and dancing and drink themselves to death. Obviously, at this point, tons of men and women and children have died, But these liquor vault deaths are notable because the vaults are slightly warmer than the outdoors. So it's the only place where the bodies are rotting and smelling. So that's super neat. Uh, We've got roving gangs of armed people demanding food and killing anyone who they think has food who isn't sharing. Dogs and cats and pet birds have long become lunch, and even wild birds are starting to drop dead and become snacks. As they starve to death and fall out of the sky, they become a snack for some other guy. Oh, and did I mention there's no water either? Tons of snow, but to melt snow, you need fuel, and everything that could be burned for warmth has already been tossed into the fire. Uh, we go from bad to worse as the thick fog from the coast rolls ashore and everyone breaks down even further. People start burning down random houses for the light because everything is so dark. Suicides are happening regularly. Everyone is dying from starvation. And those that are left have gone mad. They strip off their clothes. They run around naked until they die. And fanatics preach and yell in the dark. And then we end with a sentence. Others exclaim that they saw armies fighting in the clouds, dot, dot, dot. So sort of a sentence. (laughs) A bit of a sentence. Like sort of a story. Like a J.J. Abrams (laughs) end to a kind of tale. Yeah. That's how we end. Nice. Well, that's... That's delightful, Jess. Thank you. I'm I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'm still in the potato cave mentally. <laughs> Hashtag potato cave. <laughs> 
Look, I don't think we've read something quite like this piece yet, but I at least was intrigued by the emotional journey this fragment took me on. And I'm curious about y'all. How did this story make you feel? Cold and sad and (laughs) very hungry. I wish I was in a potato cave right now. (laughs) I could go with some fries. (laughs) That's like a standard feeling on a Thursday, you know? Can Um, I get some fries, please? (laughs) I am the fries. This gave me real like Cormac McCarthy dread vibes uh, along with like along with like the Max Brooks World War Z like reality of what would happen in this situation. The most resonant part of this, what I would call a, a like a preamble or a, a, a trailer for a Michael Bay film or something <laughs> is how people went from. Haha, <laughs> this is funny. Like, yeah, look how much snow we're getting. Work, it's so right? novel. Yes, yeah. To like all out loss of humanity. But I think it was done in a way that progressively is fairly accurate to the extent that, like, right? somebody like yeah. Cormac, like the way that Cormac McCarthy writes The Road or, like, you know, Dead Baby Trees and whatnot. It's, it's just <laughs> like this is eventually where we will get, and nobody wants to admit it, but it's pretty true. It's pretty accurate. You cut off your supplies, you cut off your electricity, you cut off your connection. What do you, what do you have? You have nothing. You can't survive on your own humanity. You can't hold yourself away. So you just go mad. You strip naked. You kill your neighbors. You raid them for all their food and resources, etc. You eat so their dogs. That was harrowing, but nothing. It, it didn't stick on anything for too long to like really drive that nail home. So I don't know. It was it was a little topical. Yeah, this, this was like a study, uh, like a an bit. artist study. Yeah. Before yeah. the masterpiece shows <laughs> up. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was impressed with with the way that I, I felt as I moved along the story, right? I got sucked into it. I, I, I felt like I was one of those people. I was one of those people who was enjoying the day off work when it was a snow day (laughs) and then, and then the snow increased and increased. And I've, you know, I've lived in Chicago. I've lived in Philadelphia. I've been in snow days before. They're not quite like this, of course, but it has gotten quite cold and people have, thrown parties and then canceled parties or wondered whether they should cancel a party on account of the icy conditions. Does that mean we should have a party or, or cancel a party? <laughs> I don't know. It, it depends on whether they have a potato cave or not. Yep. Uh, I, I suppose at the end of the day, but uh, I was, I was actually surprised by the emotional journey, this prologue, if, if, if we're being generous, uh, for not having a character, me on. for not having a laugh. character, yeah. for not having a plot. Yeah. This was this was a news report of of sorts, and it's jam packed, right? It's yeah. a couple oh, pages. Yeah. It's a and couple pages over a pretty short period of time. Very short. And to Damien's point, the sort of like social progression of events was at least it struck me as remarkably accurate, remarkably true. Like things things degenerate fairly quickly. I think the world saw this during the height of, of COVID-19, right? We all hoarded freaking toilet paper for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, this, this kind of scenario happened. So I, I was taken on an emotional journey. It just, it just wasn't one that was, was able to be concluded. I didn't so, mind the abrupt ending where it didn't conclude, right? You're, everyone is dying and freezing to death. I don't know. I think dot, dot, dot is. It's, it's a I fair ending, it. right? Uh. 
<laughs> but it's not a fair ending when you don't have a story. I mean, you you have a premise. This was a premise over eight pages. Yeah, we've read weirder stuff though, where it's like this is a letter to some. Eh. Name one other story where we don't have a central it. character. And uh, 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 like, I would disagree with Ryan's statement that there wasn't a plot. There was a plot. Like, there was a theme. There was there was. Well, a it's the end of the plot. world. It was the plot. It, was, yeah. the it wasn't fully fleshed out, but there was a plot. Uh, it and ended we got with the... Smith. We have sure, but, but didn't it feel like a prelude but... to something? Like, I think you even said it's like this is a movie trailer. Like, how innocuous can you be having a Smith as a character that's just yeah. identified as Smith? Like, give me a break. Like, there's no... Played hi, by no Jake Gyllenhaal. We all know this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, would not eat Jake, I would not eat Jake Gyllenhaal in the event of a, of a freeze-over. I don't know. But, a little bit of goose fat I, and some salt? <laughs> goose fat? <laughs> that's a very specific idea that I feel like you've thought about. You've taken LARPing <laughs> to a whole new level, I think. No, I'm like I. I just I. I do think there was promise here, but then that promise was ended, and I just disagree with Jessica that the that the truncated ending and the dot 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 was effective. I didn't find it effective. I found it kind of annoying and a bit of a cop out. I don't know the circumstances though. Did he die amidst writing the story, or he, he did just, he just? He in fact did not die mid sentence. I'm sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that would have been good. Well, it was though. like Dickens in the uh, Mystery of Edwin Drood, right? He right, he, like right, he right. didn't finish Edwin Drood because he died. So it was sort of that was baked into the uh, to the like theatricalization of no it, no uh, the man released at least two novels after this story so yeah. okay so it's, then it was a choice yeah or a part of or, the or fragment, just it, or just he was like i don't know what to do next so pause yeah, yeah. and move on to the next thing i don't yeah. think it sounds like he didn't try to get it published it was never published so this could have been it was like, never published no yeah a draft of something he was working on or a sketch of some other garbage idea. how did it make it i can't wait till we talk to the editor here because how did this make it into an <laughs> anthology give me a break i'm i'm fascinated to hear the answer to that as well well this story does however make some interesting observations about issues of class with the narrator whoever he is sympathizing with the poor at the beginning of the storm and later fearing them i wondered what 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 either of you made of its commentary on class i mean this is what you see right you see in the event of any sort of social uprising or societal collapse, you see the numbers in the lower caste, while the resources enjoyed by the upper caste are no longer influential. Mm-hmm. Right, cash has lost its value. Yeah, right. So what you have is numbers and drive, and people who had resources don't have the innate intrinsic ability to conceptualize what it takes to survive. So they hole up, they cloister in their potato caves, they take the wine that they have and think that that's right, effective. They're hoarding. Right. But eventually they're overrun by lower caste, high drive to survive, greater numbers, individuals, greater numbers who have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. They strip or- off their clothes, they die in snowbanks, but then they also eat their neighbors, eat their pets, eat birds that are falling <laughs> out of the sky, et cetera. Like Look, whatever. We, it we takes. all just saw this happen a, a number of years ago, right? COVID COVID nineteen ravages the planet. There's there's great concern at the outset for those who may not be able to get the vaccine or or what have you, and then it ends with 
dudes on their lawn with AK-47s holding off the 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 mobs or the hordes <laughs> of, of whoever. What? But we're also not in Florida. Maybe that was a Florida thing. So that that happened in St. Louis, right? That was that weird guy in St. Louis. All right, we're talking about an anomaly human being. We're not yeah. talking about a, like a standard. So one of the things that like I think that this shows is the, you know, wealthy hoarding resources, staying in their houses, not engaging. And when the social and political networks when everything break down, breaks down, yeah, they yeah. don't have the protection or right. the, the resources that they would normally have. Or, or their I status think- doesn't earn them that protection anymore. Right. Like, why would you stay around and help people for right. you're not getting their money or food? Um, one thing that like I know that even I think the little notes after this compared this to COVID stuff. One thing that this doesn't show that I think is slightly more realistic is the, you know, poorer communities with fewer resources are generally more skilled at. Combining Being scrappy. But combining resources that they have, right? Like it's a more of a mm-hmm. community. Sure, it's that... it's a utilization. It's a it's a practical and mechanically adept cast. Yeah. Whereas you know they're used to a system that isn't designed to help them at all. So when that breaks down, the people who are going to feel it the worst are the people who are relying on this system, and, and then it's got to break down further. And now it... we're. Is is, yeah. is what we're trying to say here that there's a difference between those who pay for stuff to have happen versus those who know how to make those things happen. Or right. even more basic, like if you're rich, you have a social structure that is designed to support you. Even the author says in this something about like, oh, if we had better systems, this wouldn't have happened. But the systems mm-hmm. have broken down. They're the no systems longer have, are gone. Pro- protecting the people that they normally protect. Whereas like if you're super poor, those systems aren't protecting you from anything. So you're, so, so you learn, you learn to deal. Yeah. You're, but it's, you can be more adept at it. It's also an observation on just like the necessity of certain practical skills. Right. Uh, so I, I work in marketing. Uh, when the apocalypse comes, I will be eaten. immediately. <laughs> I, uh, if there's, if there's an apocalyptic event on the earth and they are sa- saving individuals to go on like some big arc spaceship, I'm not going to be invited. I recognize that, but it's funny because with regards to the existing state of our, of, you know, society and, and, and corporate influence and whatnot, like I do pretty well, you know, as far as like resources are concerned. So it's just one of those weird things that just resets it level sets everything. All right, let's dump a ton of snow on earth. No, focus it on London. Fine. Let's dump, let's dump a ton of snow and see what really matters. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what this preamble shows, right? What really matters and how easily all this inconsequential stuff like status, title, income, money is moot at this stage. It is representative, but it doesn't feed you. You can't burn it. You know, so it's it's like it's it's not fuel and it's not food. So what is it? It's meaningless. And I think this preamble did a pretty good job on like showcasing that. All right. So climate change is a reality for our world today in a way that it wasn't when this story was written or at least not as recognized. So how does that change how this story affects a reader, a a modern reader today, in, in your opinion? 
I think this seems, I mean, probably not the end of this story is the end of what would happen here. But I mean, I'm in New York and Buffalo got more Mm -hmm. than six feet of snow smashed recently earlier this winter in like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It was just like that's lake effect, baby. (laughs) But but also like the wildest lake effect that they've had in a while. Sure. So it's lake effects now on steroids because of climate stuff. Uh, and so these things seem more and more possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's simultaneously flooding and droughts happening at the same time everywhere all over the country. Right. <laughs> and so it's it seems these stories seem more possible where you're just like, oh yeah, you could you could get a hundred feet of snow. Why not? Seven feet, a hundred feet. Uh, it's not a huge difference once you get above. I don't know, like a head, foot head of... level. Once you get above head level, it's not a big group of <laughs> Yeah, it's true. The realization of it is is kind of harrowing, to be honest. Like you said, and this this wasn't anecdotal. Like it was not an issue then. We didn't have the holes in the ozone layer that we do now because of CFCs. We mm-hmm. don't have, you know, human contribution and impact to polar ice caps melting that temperature which eliminate you know, my a, a degree and a half differential can make the difference between flooding an entire state right. like florida and mm-hmm. not like it's crazy to think about but we've been so egotistical and egocentric as a species to think oh man can't affect an entire planet what can we do but we're refusing to acknowledge the level of scale in both pollution mm-hmm. waste and impact to our protective layers and the fail safes that are in this big rock that we all ride on. So I, I think it makes it, you know, you might ask this question later about it, it, how does the fear hold up? This is scary. Like when we watched day after tomorrow, it was, it was, it was clownish, right? Like, Oh, yeah. you can't, you can't be outside reaching for your baby and then freeze solid. In, you know, one <laughs> right. second. That's ridiculous. But now it's like, well, hell is it? ridiculous like is this something that could happen can we get these sort of extremes so this story the way it was presented actually paced and timed out to be something that's a fairly like legitimate threat and right because of that it, it it resonated a little bit more than was probably intended well and it's time and both of you live in in northern climes at least in in the u.s context and when I lived in Philadelphia, I had to learn about things like polar vortex bombs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I remember when one of these happened, like there was warnings from every newscaster, every forecaster was like, if you can help it, don't go mm-hmm. outside. Yeah, it, sure, wasn't, right? it wasn't that you were going to freeze immediately, but it was like, if you're in bad health, yeah, it's, you can't it's a terrible idea for you to go it's outside. It's bad on your lungs, right? <laughs> yeah. If you try and breathe, yeah. And 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 I remember telling people, you know, family members who were still down south, they're like, "Well, how are you dealing with this?" I'm like, "I'm dealing with it okay because there's a point at which it's just it's just darn cold, right? Like, <laughs> like below it, when 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 temperatures get into the teens and the single digits, it's not a discernible difference. It's just I can't stand this cold, right? <laughs> All of it, yeah, right. It doesn't it doesn't matter. But I, I think that there was a part of this story that for me was was terrifying because yeah. those images from the day after tomorrow, and I know we keep bringing up that film, but it's a fun one. Um, they become hauntingly real, hauntingly possible 
scaled uh, down, but possible. Yeah, yeah, and 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 frankly, you know, now living in in Southwest Florida, when the polar ice caps melt, as they are, yeah, the 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 neighborhood in which I live is gone. So, I don't know. Do we have fifty years here? Do we have a hundred years here? <laughs> well, we Florida, you guys got. Yeah, I mean, you just got to move, it's, bro. It's hit or miss. <laughs> it might be, done. Yeah, might be today, might be tomorrow. Well, as we've noted, this story is unfinished. So I would like to know how the two of you would end it. Ellipses don't count. <laughs> Dot, 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 exclamation point. Mm-mm. Question mark? <laughs> well, yeah, question mark. Anger not accepting emoji. at this point. <laughs> how does this story end? How does this movie, how does this movie progress? This is the prequel to um, Snowpiercer. Oh, good Such call. a fun movie. Yeah, I think that that's where I'm going to go This is this. the prequel to this. I think Jess is right. Right, so just, you get the same class stuff. You get yep. the same. Yeah. Uh, eat. You get the same occasional eating people stuff. Uh, the ultra violence, the loss of humanity, the being so so cold. <laughs> <laughs> the the veiled classism. Yeah. So what I would do is I would finish writing the story, but it would be that graphic novel that Snowpiercer is based on, and then I would turn it into a movie. Dot 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 exclamation point. So I think in being presented this question it now validates the ending because i think following the dot 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 it is a total degradation and elimination of the human race mm-hmm. um what the dot do dot, we dot think entails... it's more than just england that's been yeah yeah um, the interesting thing though like you know in the shadows as they're battle going on okay so are we looking at a biblical apocalypse fine i don't care whatever the point is is that people are done <laughs> Um, the, the fact that we were very early on in this tale or, you know, setting, whatever you want to call it, are being told that all communication is cut off because phone lines are snapped, you know, frozen, broken, logistically all, um, import of trail or, or excuse me, of train and ship provided goods have been disrupted. So essentially we are an Island unto ourselves here in London the same is resonating throughout the world. The assumption would be. And so nobody's getting their stuff. You know, people can only eat so many papayas and oranges and strawberries and pistachios until their supply runs out. So everybody does. All goods. That's my conclusion. Come from England. Papayas. Yeah. And pistachios. <laughs> no, I was, I was bouncing around the world here. You jerk. I wasn't talking about like mar- marmite, and, marmite and ale, extra strong, bitter. What I'm saying is that everybody dies out because everyone gets isolated. There is no global trade. There is no exchange. People's resources get usurped because mm-hmm. we are still in a modern sensibility of consumption. And it doesn't that quickly outpaces our ability to produce. So we all die. That's my assumption is that now being asked that question, I can kind of validate the dot, dot, dot at the end of the story because yeah, sure. it, can only, it can literally only end one way. And that way is the total annihilation of the human race. Well, I'll just follow up on that and think that the two of you forecasted my, my ending perfectly. I think it did end. I, I think, you know, the author died mid sentence because he froze. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. Absolutely. So long. Thanks for yeah, all the fish. Might well, be a couple people left, but not for long. <laughs> but before he offers his gratitude for the fish, let's talk about the writing. 
what did what did the writing here do for you? I loved it. I was surprised yeah. by how much I liked it. Um, I actually looked up some of Jeffrey's other works with the intention of picking them up. All Agreed nature with Jess. Well, I mean, I I think that he had like tapped into a vein of early like interest in the potential of an apocalypse, and mm-hmm. so that's what a lot of mm-hmm. his stories, uh, to my understanding, this greater fleshed out is the After London. Uh, novella. Yeah, that's the one I'm. I'm most interested. Yeah, in. I right. mean that's the so one that I, a lot of I, people I would read, have read. I would read that. Yeah, it, it's but, it's a prototype of the post-apocalyptic story that we're familiar with today. Yeah, perfect. yeah, but the fact the fact that we have a hundred year old like movie trailer for right. a book is <laughs> right. kind of annoying, but also effective. So kudos to you, Richard Jeffries. I will read your stuff. I enjoy the journalistic style. Like these are the facts. This there, yeah. there there's nothing else here, but this is the story. I, I was riveted by that. I was I was pulled along by that by that style of writing. Uh, there were several turns of phrase that I particularly enjoyed, and I have to share those here. Meat went up to fancy prices. I this like is that a phrase yeah, that, good... that I am deploying at some point in the near future. <laughs> right? He said like, a Smith I'm, and Walensky's. He's like, oh, you got some fancy prices. Huh? I'm going out to a restaurant. I'm taking my wife to a fancy steakhouse in St. Petersburg. Oh, these meats, they're fancy prices, aren't they? <laughs> uh, another one I enjoyed. You think enjoyed she'll be impressed? Well, I, I mean, I mean, time has long passed for that to happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even trying anymore, folks. I'm just feeding I'm, meat. I'm just going to the fancy prices <laughs> potato caves. Uh, I also enjoyed the phrase "gang of wolves in human shape." Right, this is a good one. This this is I wrote very that one down evocative. Too. Absolutely. I, I think Jeffries was a good writer and, and I'd be interested to read after London and, and some of his other works. I'm, I don't know that I'm so interested in the navel gazing of Walden pond esque stuff, no, but, but I but like some of the, the early like weird fiction yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. I could read that. No, I, I like, I like the possible terminus and mm-hmm. that's very mm-hmm. intriguing. I think it's intriguing to everybody and it's why it's why properties like walking dead and, other oh, zombie yeah. films and whatnot, because there's no like light at the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, I'll, I'll like, extend that are, to say we're on a steady path. I I think that's why it's in the collection. I mean, we, okay, we, that's fair. We, we we threw that out there at the beginning. Like, why is this here? It's not finished, but I I think it's in the collection for that very. Well, reason. I think it's in the collection because of the snow, because the snow is the apocalyptic event. I think if it were a virus, I think if it were a nuclear attack or something, it were non natural. Well, I say virus is non natural, but a virus is non weather related. It would be one thing, but it's a snow. Yeah, but yes, the apocalyptic Damien, if the story was written it. from the perspective of the duck apocalypse, it wouldn't be here. Okay, thank you. Ryan. That's a different collection. But Duck Apocalypse is a collection I'd buy. Authors out there. Duck Apocalypse is also the name of my band, which is dropping that album that I aforementioned. (laughs) All right. In the notes, our editor observes that seriously scary storms were not unheard of in England from, and these are the years he offers, folks, 1300 to 1900, which is just an incredibly broad (laughs) swath of time. It's like a Milton Bradley age range for their board right. games, ages <laughs> two to two hundred and twenty-two. It's like, yeah, we got to draw a line somewhere, Milton. You know, but but he says these storms occasionally led to unique entertainments, like and and I'm quoting here, frost fairs on the Thames. And what I want to know tonight, Damien and Jessica, 
is if you had a booth on the Frost Fair on the Thames, what would it be? Kissing booth. (laughs) Who couldn't have written that, folks? (laughs) (laughs) A hot toddy booth. Nice. I would go to your booth. Would you come to mine? Uh, I'm pretty busy with my hot toddies. (laughs) I gotta wash my hair. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's pretty snowy, actually. I also have to wash my hair, Damien. I'm sorry about that. Ryan, what's yours? What's your booth? Uh, Balloon popping with icicle darts, definitely. Oh, Uh, All right, that's fine. That's creative. Would you give away prizes? What would your prizes be? Oh, I mean, kissing booth tickets. <laughs> I'll take them. Freebies, uh, frozen four. stuffed pandas. <laughs> I mean, nobody needs those now. Nobody needs those then. I mean, that, that's obviously still the prize. My kissing booth is not very popular. I realize this. All right, here comes whether or not whether, whether or quotient not. in this story, Jessica. We're going to start with you. Ah, uh, that's six weathers. Yeah, that's there's a lot of weather, weather here. Yeah, yeah, that's might a, be that's, the most weather we've had so far. That's a full sky of weathers. <laughs> Here in we're the going on episode. an eight and a half scale. We're going on an eight and a half weather scale, and it's it's yeah. it's busted through with a nine point two. <sighs> that's a lot of weather. What do you say, Ryan? Weather or not? Uh, weather is definitely present. In story. <laughs> weather is present in the beginning, and weather is present in the middle, and weather might be present in the end. We're unsure. My last question then, what is the coldest you have ever been? Tell us the story. All right. I got one right off the bat. So I live in Boston. I'm in New England now. And so there have been cold times, but I've always been prepared. There There was a time when I lived in Florida uh, where I woke up at 3.30 in the morning to join my high school pal, Nick. And uh, his mom ran a, a paper delivery route and she had a, a truck. And I say this because I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations on driving around to, uh, you know, like 14 year old kids in the back of your pickup truck. <laughs> it's probably running driving out. on an interstate. Yeah, is it's 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 expired. So many safe. of the statute of limitations related to Nick <laughs> have run out. Nick, we love so, you. Everybody go listen to his podcast. Porchville and uh, yeah. Yeah, the Porchville pod. Uh, he and I sat in the back of his mother's pickup truck as we went and picked up Fort Myers News Press newspapers. And then she proceeded to drive us to a few different neighborhoods while we were on US 41 going, I don't know, 55, 60 miles an hour, 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, 3 a.m. in the morning, of course. But we're in like t-shirts and shorts, which is standard fare in Florida, mm-hmm. and freezing our butts off because of the fact that it was just super, super chilly at the time. <laughs> we had we had blasts of cold air that were being blown degrees, on us, folks. No, but you got to understand that when you're going 60 miles an hour and you're sitting in the cab of a of a truck, like it is, it is it, the wind chill factor really kicks the up at that chill. stage. Which you don't have wind chill in Florida because there no. is a wind chill. So we're sitting there. We're piling rolled up newspapers on ourselves to keep warm. Oh, Our Lord. only sustenance is a is a shared bag of like cheese nips, crackers, and we're staring at each other. I've never been colder in my life. And me neither. Do you want some more cheese nips? Yes. And the wind's blowing. 
that to me is arguably the the most standout situation where I have been the coldest in my life. Have I actually been physically colder? Yes, but not to the emotional impact that that moment took. Good me. Lord, Jess, you, you've lived in the Midwest. Please rescue us with a cold <laughs> story that matters. Oh, stop. So I think it was matters probably to me. my maybe my junior year in college in beautiful Grand Forks, North Dakota. Love Grand Forks. Have at least seven wheat fields there. There's probably seven wheat fields in Grand Forks. And Damien's played Settlers of Catan in Grand Fields, <laughs> North Dakota. So I was living off campus. And if you live off campus and you have student parking, you have to park, I mean, far, far away from campus, right? As Not is fair faculty. for off campus students, yes. yes. And the only reason I could drive to school is because I had in my apartment uh, a thing to plug in your car so that the battery doesn't die with how cold it is. So it's about 40 below Lord. and we're driving to campus and you're parking so far away that it's probably a you know 15 minute walk from the parking lot to your classroom. And it's 40 below temperature. So plus wind chill. This no. is the point where you no. give up. Um, if you keep your eyeballs open, the liquid in your eyes starts to freeze. No. Like your nostrils freeze shut. And so you have a bunch of like, you know, 20-year-old people who very honestly and sincerely care about looking <laughs> cool. Yeah. And the, everyone is walking backwards with their eyes closed towards campus. Because obviously there is still class. This is Grand Forks, North Dakota. You cannot cancel you got to bring your protective eye gel. <laughs> but yeah, it's you have to close your eyes. You have to walk backwards. You have to be like, this is multiple layers, like pants under your pants, snow boots, coat, hat, everything uh, for just like a bunch of 20 year olds who just want to look cool and like hang out and make out with people. And instead, you just look like a giant baked potato walking backwards. <laughs> potato yeah, potato cave. Here I come. <laughs> So that's that's for sure the coldest I've been. That sounds freezing. Where you have to be outside, right? Like normally, why would you go outside? But like right. you have to go to school. This isn't an excused absence. Everyone else is showing up. Normally, yep. you would just stay inside. But that is the sort of environment where I would expect that people would anticipate that you would have some sort of like protective measures or protocols in place to guard you from the cold. That's not astronomical to have like negative 12 degrees. But negative 40 degrees. Sure. You but start getting into like your your tissues. You're going to die yeah. here. <laughs> like I can Tissues miss you. <laughs> I, I got a text from my father yesterday morning that said how cold out it was. Oh, he froze to death, didn't he? He, he just said it was he, he dot, froze. dot, dot. Oh, minus, <laughs> it did minus 28 here this morning exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point and then like a really nice photo of his christmas decoration i'm inviting Those your father great. to come stay with me in florida <laughs> yeah we're, we're seeing some fantastic jan's husband if you'd like to come down you're welcome mark mark Berg. mark mr thank jan you. i didn't know his name but mark you're That's welcome fine. and jan bring whiskey they will take you up on it so <laughs> so so I, I made fun of Damien, and, and I feel ashamed about that now because I'm going to tell Did a you story. Did you also have a Florida story? I have a Florida oh cold story. Uh, this was the weekend of my bachelor party, believe it or not. <laughs> 
and this was January. It was like Martin Luther King weekend. It was like January 27th that weekend uh, prior to my marriage to Elise. And we went. Oh, uh, to Elise, not yeah, someone else. Yeah. My first wife, as I like to say. Thanks for pointing that out. Uh, uh Friends and family gathered at my uncle's fishing cabin on the Chasawitska River. Uh, this is a fishing cabin that I have spent uh, a formative amount of time at. <laughs> and never have I been as cold as I was on that weekend. It was so cold. It was How 27 was it? degrees <laughs> on the Chasawitska right, River, which which for Florida is 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 40 below is is remarkable. Um, but what many people don't realize is that cold weather in Florida is colder than it is in places like Minneapolis or North Dakota. Oh, where, interesting. Wherever it is that Jessica lives up there near Canada. <laughs> uh, because because of the moisture factor. I mean, I've had people that have come here from northern climes that have said, I've never been as cold as I am in Florida. I'm like, it's 40 degrees. They're like, no way, it's 40 below. No, it's it's just 40. <laughs> uh, so this was a weekend like that. We went out fishing. We had great fishing, uh, fish like cold weather. And uh, my my father-in-law, who who is a character, who is a character, uh, he folks, this is the Chasawitska River. This is redneck Florida. My father-in-law presents himself at the fishing boat at the dock at six o'clock in the morning. Wearing a New York Yankees toboggan cap, <laughs> and 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 our fishing guide for the day, Alfred, of the Chasawitska River, says, <laughs> "Don't get in my boat with that hat on." And my father-in-law just did. laughs this off, and I have to sort of like elbow him privately and say, "He's not kidding. Turn the hat inside out." <laughs> so he turns the Yankee cap inside out. We go fishing. Uh, we have a delightful day. At one point, Alfred says, does anybody want some lunch? I brought some sandwiches. I've got ham and mayonnaise and mustard and pickles and a cheese. A ham and mayonnaise sandwich? That sounds like an Alfred picnic. Yeah, tell you what, my father-in-law like gives his order for what he would like for lunch. And Alfred says, well, <laughs> you, you're going to have to make it, brother. <laughs> this is not a full-service restaurant. Earlier in the day, my father-in-law looked at Alfred in his in his jacket. It, it's 27 degrees on the water, which means it's like negative 127. Mm -hmm. And and that my father-in-law says, let me ask you, Alfred. This is the king of small talk here. He says, let me ask you, is that a warm jacket? And Alfred said, no, man, this is my house coat. <laughs> this was the coldest I have ever been in Florida <laughs> or anywhere else the whole course of this weekend. I have never been as cold. I've been in Philly. I've been in Chicago. I have been in Boston for Thanksgiving, which may not be as cold as, as other places, but I've been in cold places. Never been as cold as Martin Luther King Day weekend, Florida, Chasawitzka River, 2010. Never going back. Done. Get Done. out of here, Chasawitzka. <laughs> Chasawitzka. All right. We've wrestled with this already. This is episode two, but we've we've wrestled with this. I'm going to ask again. Did the scare hold up? Damien. Yeah, this was scary. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, this was scary on a decay of society scare. 
this was scary on a 28 days later on a walking dead on a what happens when the world ends scare it was it was laid out sort of medicinally and almost like i would say anesthetically like there was no emotion to it it was just here's the blow here's the play-by-play here's the blow-by-blow but it still resonated enough. That's especially what I thought modern... gave it its emotion was the play by play blow blow. Sure. Blow. Yeah. No, I agree. But I'm saying like there wasn't innate emotion. It relied on the reader. Yeah. And I think okay. that if we okay. were if we were reading this story 20 years ago, it would be farce. It would be like, no, that could never happen. <laughs> Unless we were out or. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> so I, I say yes to the current day or current situation as a globe yes the scare holds up as a globe jessica how do you feel yeah very scary i worry about stuff like this a lot i got a lot of anxiety about everything apparently that these first two stories are really bringing up (laughs) terrible Uh, volume for jessica sorry uh, (laughs) i have like the you know waterproof box in the basement with enough food for a week and extra water and i'm just thinking like oh i need another box like i I need more than a week's worth of food. And I don't think that that's a reaction I've had to many stories where it's just like, okay, I need to actually start planning because this seems, I mean, the end result of this seems unrealistic, but the, you know, being snowed in for a week or two at a time seems more and more realistic. So I'm going to go out, buy another tub, fill it full of baked beans or whatever's down there <laughs> to the to the cream's corn industry yeah. just the hashtag potato cave and a hashtag baked bean tub it's just you know you gotta have what you gotta have i guess so i'm gonna say yes and no look it this was not a scary story to read it was entertaining like a like a good disaster movie, like the one we've mentioned so often already, The Day After Tomorrow. Like some ter- kind of big blockbuster. Ter- terrific disaster <laughs> film. But like, if you think about it, as Jessica clearly has, if you oh, think yeah. about this too long, like, yeah, it's scary. Climate change is real. Climate change is scary. This is This is not the world that I prefer to leave to my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But, uh... Look, the, the the other thing that's scary about this is I live in Florida. Like I'm a goner. Like I'm under I'm, <laughs> I'm under the waves. I love it, folks. Ryan. Why don't you move? Nah, I'd rather just go. I'm just I'd rather go when it's done. I'm. I'm. I, it'll be my time at at one point or another. I live three feet above sea level. The sea is right there, and it's looking hungry. I'll say that. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is scary. Oh, we're getting Lovecraftian now. All right, that takes us. To Whiskey Fingers rating, this is how we rate our stories here on Whiskey and the Weird, all the way from an empty glass to five fingers of the coveted full fist of whiskey. Jessica, what do you give The Great Snow? Three and a half. I know it's not quite a story, but I really like the vibe. I really like the writing. I thought it was genuinely creepy. Uh, It for sure was weather, so that that bumped up a little bit. A bold Um, rating still for a trailer. And there's not a ton of these stories where I've already actively sought out other works from an author that I haven't known. I do not know this author, and I'm looking forward to reading more. Uh, Pro tip, he dropped the uh, first name John early in his career, so just look for Richard Jeffries. Okay, thanks. 
I would agree um, with Jess in that it did nice. compel me to look up more <laughs> more works by this author. But, I mean, we don't rate it by the potential of, like, hooking me into other stories. That's like saying, oh, Huffington Post is really good on getting me to read their articles or it's a really good article. No, it's a really good hook. The hook was there, but the the fundamentals of it being a standalone story were not. So for me, I teetered between a two and a half and a three, and I'm going to give it three because I uh, did appreciate the fact that it was realistic. It was compelling. And I think now in our current decade, it is super prescient Mm. (laughs) to Mm. as to what could happen in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, But as far as it being a full-fledged story on its own, it just wasn't. And it left a lot to be desired. I needed a beginning, middle, and an end. I got a beginning and a middle. Mm -hmm. There was no end. And the fact that he didn't die writing it definitely took a full half star (laughs) off or half finger (laughs) off. The author survived. Like the fact that the author lived and made this a choice and not a victim of circumstance. Like, yeah. So I'll give it a three. It's still a decent rating because I did think the writing was compelling. It was clear cut. It was to the point it captured the essence of what was going on and did so in an, in an anesthetic way that still worked, but it just bothered me that fundamentally it wasn't a full story. So three, I'm surprised not, not at the ratings that we've heard thus far, but this is probably one of the few, if not only times that I've come in with the lowest rating of Mm -hmm. of the three of us. I think so. I'm coming in with 2.5 fingers of whiskey. Okay. I felt that that this one was hard. Fair. It's 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 almost not a story. I liked it for Agreed. what it was. It's just not going to stand out for me as I think back on this collection. It ends with an ellipses. It doesn't end with the author's death. Uh, it's it's a it's a trailer for a film that we've all seen. It's it's right down the middle for me. Two and a half fingers of whiskey is is the most that I can give it. Totally fair. I don't. I I, I you know what I got to say. We all had three kind of close but you know we're, we're mm-hmm. averaging out to three stars or to three fingers but i understand where each of us are coming from right and so i think that that's what's crazy about this is that for if this were a pamphlet if this were a movie trailer it'd be one thing right but because it's in a story in an anthology of other complete stories it stands out as being incomplete and Correct. i'm very very curious to talk to the editor to find out why this was included or Kevin Van Warren, you've it. been put on notice. We're coming yeah. for you. We want you on We're coming Whiskey for you. and the Weird. We're coming for <laughs> you. Coming in hot. Yeah, real welcoming vibe. We're, We're coming we'll, for you. We'll provide the fries in we'll the potato cave. I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that takes us to our If This Then That for this episode. And what I'd like to recommend to you folks, if you liked this story, if you liked this ellipses at the end of the story and you'd like to be in charge of figuring out what happens next, I want to recommend to you a game. That's right. Not a movie, not a book, not a story, but a game. And that game is 2018's 11-bit studios produced game, Frostpunk. This is a survival sim. Think SimCity, but after this story has happened, you are making all the decisions for the survivors of the snowpocalypse. You are trying to decide between law, order, chaos, religion, faith, uh, goodwills or bad. 
you are in charge and no matter what decision you make, there are negative consequences. It is very difficult to survive in this game. I've had a lot of fun with it. I have not yet been successful, but I look forward to hearing about those who have. Uh, it is. It is. It is a Ryan's really like, fun. I game. ate my children. Uh, right. If you came out with a more positive, no, no, <laughs> no. Seriously, no. that is actually an option in this game. You can <laughs> people no. to survive. Uh, they are. They are on their way towards producing a sequel to this game. But look, I like civilization style games. I like SimCity style I like games. Civilization. Is it? Yeah. Is it piece? Is is it a PC game? Is it available on console or is it available? It's it's available pretty much everywhere now. I think you can get it on okay. console. I think you can get it on you can definitely get it on PC, usually for a steep discount, but you can almost assuredly get it on on PlayStation and Xbox. I don't think Switch, but if you've got a PlayStation and Xbox, you can get Frostpunk. I recommend Frostpunk. the game to you. It's a lot of fun. It's real hard, folks. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. It'll make you appreciate coal and wood in a in a way that you haven't appreciated since Settlers of Catan first came out. <laughs> All right, right I gotta say, I just like actively Googled it, and the first thing that is, uh, appears in Google under people also ask is, "Is Frostpunk too hard?" <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. It's hard. The snowpocalypse is real. The cold is real. You won't survive. Your first run will be disastrous. Just accept it. Cool. 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 Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of Whiskey and the Weird. And as always, if you enjoy this episode, we enjoy your rating, your reviewing. <laughs> we, we invite you to please thank us by offering a rating. Thank we us. always want to. We thank always want to thank everybody. That's right. That's right. Or send us whiskey. I mean, either one will do. Uh, we always want to thank Dr. Blake Brandis for providing the music for Whiskey and the Weird. Damien, if they want to reach out to us and tell us how they did in Frostpunk, where can they find us? We know you ate your kids, but if you want to reach out to us <laughs> on social, you can find us at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter, at Whiskey Weird Pod on Twitter. We're also on Instagram at Whiskey and the Weird, at Whiskey and the Weird on Instagram. We spell our whiskeys with an E. We hope you do too. If not, don't be surprised if we get a 15 foot snowdrift coming in. We end up eating your pets, your neighborhood birds, Aww. and possibly your family members. Look at Survival in the Fittest hashtag Potato Cave. We're stealing your potatoes first. Damien's taking your kids. <laughs> Jess, what are we reading next? <laughs> uh, we are going to stick with the snowy vibe. We're going with The Summer Snowstorm this time by Adam ah, Chase. Sounds delightful. In any event, I'm Ryan Whitley. I'm Jessica Berg. And I'm Damien Smith. And together we're Whiskey and the Weird. Damien, send us home. As always, keep your friends through the ages and your creeps in the pages. We're Whiskey and the Weird, and we're out. <laughs> <laughs>